1: This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnutt, and with me today is Darren Teague, Senior Account Executive and B2C Team Leader at Spotler. And Darren's here to discuss with us the importance of collaboration within email marketing. Welcome to the podcast, Darren. Thanks, Scott.
0: Really happy to be here today. I think, um, yeah, I've listened to a few of the podcast episodes over the years. I can't profess to have listened to to all of them, dating back a good kind of nearly 15, 20 years. But yeah, excited to, I guess, talk about a lot of different things to do with email, but also how it sits in the ecosystem of digital marketing as a whole as well.
1: I don't think anybody has listened to all of the episodes. (laughs) I've 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 never had anyone tell me that. I certainly haven't listened to all of them. But if you are listening, I've never asked this, but if you are listening and you've been listening for the last 20 years, you've listened to every episode or nearly every episode, let us know. You know where to find us. We'll put all the links in the show notes. Darren, Spotler, yourself, I'd like to learn a little bit more. Can you just describe what you do at Spotler, your role and the services that you offer? Yeah, for
0: sure. So Spotlight, a lot of people may not have actually
1: heard of because it is the
0: the parent company, the group company that acquired the business I worked for, which was Pure360, which I think mm-hmm. people in the email marketing and general marketing space in the UK will know a lot more because they started 2001 and been running for, for 22 years. But in the Pure360 Spotlight world, I've been here for the best part of six years and Across that, I focus mainly on new business, new partnerships, but also working with customers about utilizing more of the technology, adopting different strategies and different tactics to essentially help the Pure360 and now the, the wider Spotler group of companies, um, help marketers make better decisions, use more accessible technology, because I think compared to when this podcast started all those years ago, technology has changed a huge amount, Um And it's something that I kind of fell into as an individual. I I fell into working at Pure360 six years ago, and I just kind of fell in love with the space. I've always been curious and wanting to ask questions as to why this happens, why that happens. And so for me, it was a perfect fit of going into a space where There are so many unknowns and so many things that you still need to find out. Um, And that's really taken me quite far, that natural curiosity to go, well, yes, we do this, but why do we do it? Why Mm -hmm. are we sending that email? Why are we doing this campaign? Why are we in business as a business in general? So that's a little bit about
1: my story at at pure and then and then spotler group as a whole did you have that initial curiosity 6 years ago for email marketing specifically
0: definitely not Email marketing back then. Um, I think marketing, I'd kind of dabbled uh, a bit in it. So before starting at Pure360, I actually lived in Australia for almost two years. And because you had the working holiday visa, you were forced to go to different businesses, often working at startups and in some interesting roles. And one of them in particular was for a, a technically a, a film company, a film fund, but we were in investment raising mode. So mm. It was setting up a CRM, setting up a marketing platform and looking at how a business positions itself. So that was really interesting and it was a really steep learning curve. But I've now developed that that passion and that interest in the marketing space rather than having been a child and going when I grow up, I want to be an email marketer or an email specialist because I don't think there's
1: many people out there that, that have that as a, a dream as a, a young boy or girl, to be fair. And you noted a moment ago your curious nature and you asked, like, why are we doing this? The why questions. For the Spotler Group, what is the why? What do you hope to do? Do you have a mission statement there? Yes. Um, And if anyone from Spotler Group
0: is is listening to this, they might want to slap me on the wrist and go, that's not exactly what we stand for. But for me, the way that I kind of see it is ultimately it's allowing marketers to be the best marketer that they can be. So giving them the tools, the ideas, the technology, so that they can get their creativeness into the marketplace because there's so many different software companies out there, agencies, partners, and then there's always those new channels that come out, whether it's TikTok or ChatGPT or anything that kind of comes. Sometimes it's a fad, sometimes it stays. For us, it is about, as a marketer, you're naturally quite a creative individual. You want to get creative things out there we in the software space need to build technology that is easy to use simple to understand but also allows you to get great creative out into the marketplace and i think that's one thing that's that's really key for us is you don't want technology forcing creative thinkers, creative doers, creative people to not be as creative as they can because the technology can't handle it. We're we're so advanced in some areas that that shouldn't be the pinch point. And I think the why for Spotler is very much helping marketers get back to the core of marketing, which is the messaging, the conversation, the feeling, the emotion, rather than Sitting in a platform, clicking buttons, getting stressed out because you need to segment certain
1: things—all the weird and wonderful things that happens in the the world of email. Sounds like you want to enable marketers to just enjoy their work and do it as efficiently and as enjoyably as possible. Exactly that. I think. I think. Yeah, work should be
0: an enjoyable thing for everyone. Um, that's maybe a bit of a, a pipe dream, and maybe that maybe that's a life mission for me. Who knows? But um, I think going to work and enjoying what you're doing is going to be a key thing that has probably changed a lot over the last few years as we were forced into lockdowns and reevaluating our lives and things like that you want to get out of bed in the morning and go i'm excited about what i'm doing for work because it's such a, a big part of what you do
1: day to day so how do you currently do that spot let's break down to help us understand more about why collaboration is important and how you currently collaborate cross-discipline and maybe with other partners I'd like to know how it currently works there. So maybe just start with the types of businesses that you either currently work with or that Spotler ideally wants to work with. What's the makeup of those companies? What do they look like? It's a very, very good question. So
0: Pure360 is a a sub-brand of Spotler that's being kind of enveloped into the group. And Pure360, we we had kind of an ideal customer, which was generally a customer that had a, a small marketing team, With big ambitions. So it was people that didn't have the manpower and needed to leverage technology to do the really exciting things. We've taken that with us into the Spotler group and then kind of had a look at the other companies in there. So whilst it is a group of companies, which is now nine tech companies. We acquired two in the last couple of weeks. So don't ask me about that technology (laughs) and what, what exactly they do. But it's an exciting time to be part of the group. So for us, an ideal customer is generally what we would class as marketing teams that have the ambitions of your global brand. So they have the ambitions to be the nikes to to be the adidas to be those brands that lead the way when it comes to marketing and creative and content but they just don't have the resource they don't necessarily have the budgets they don't have the data scientists all of those individuals are something that that companies are sometimes lacking but you you have to compete with that if you're a small sports brand By default, you are proxy competing with Nike at somewhere along your customer kind of journeys. So for us, an ideal customer would be someone that is ambitious, someone that doesn't have a huge amount of resource in the team because our systems are built for essentially ease of use and effectiveness. Um, I've looked at our Salesforce marketing cloud, Adobe clouds, and they're fantastic tools, but. You can't run it with one or two or three people. You need specialists in certain areas. So I think that's the the kind of businesses that we work best with, and it tends to be in a handful of different industries. So retail is a very big sector for us. So especially if they're e-commerce, uh, travel clients were were a big part of what we. What we service pre-COVID. And I was actually at an Abter event last week talking about um, email marketing. And it was exciting to get back in a room with travel marketers that are so visual, but they've just had such a hard three years. So that's another big sector. And then it whittles down from there, kind of publishing, financial services, government. Um, across the group, we service about 4,500 different customers, primarily in Europe. So it does vary massively but that's i guess kind of the the key components that we would say these are the type of of customers that utilize spotless services
1: what you've just said there about the the companies that are ambitious but are perhaps in a position where they don't have the resource to to execute sophisticated marketing in the way that they'd like to Uh, is really interesting to me because I've probably been in that position myself as a marketer. I've definitely seen clients Mm -hmm. in that position where you have ideas, you have creativity, you kind of know what you want to do, but you don't have the resource to execute it. And so now I'm thinking, well, at Spotler, who do you primarily work with? So if a client of yours doesn't have in-house resource, like you said, multiple people committed to email marketing, Who is it that you're primarily working with? Is it email marketers? Is it other marketers? Are you able to elaborate on that part a little bit? Yeah. Um,
0: Generally, they tend to be marketing managers, heads of marketing, e-commerce managers, heads of e-commerce. And the reason they have those more generic titles is because they're the email person, the social media person, the Google specialist, the SEO person, the copywriter, or there's a couple of people. Generally, when you get um, to a level where you've got 50 people in a marketing team and they've got seven email marketers, six people on social. That's the level where I say your marketing clouds come into play and people start looking at, actually, I want to to look at, at how those marketing clouds operate because we've got the the people power to put behind it. We can have six people dedicated to running that platform day in, day out, as opposed to it being 10% of a person's working day. So they tend to be the generalists, um, and that's coming from my experience of of the time at, at Pure360 and now Spotlight UK. But some of the clients we work with in the group in, in some of the other business units work at, at very much the the top end of the market. So working with your your Heineken's, your Siemens, your, the Curry's of this world that, that are, are massive companies that have large marketing team so it does go all the way up to that size but it tends to be the bulk of our customers are the general marketer that wears many hats and has lots of things to do on a day-to-day basically
1: Mm, that's interesting it leads me to one of my questions that i was really curious about coming into this episode uh when i'm thinking about disciplines and i think about I, i really take it back to the like when we're first introduced to clients and the pitching process or the discovery process and I was thinking about what you offer your services at Spotler. And I was wondering who it is that you pitch to. You've kind of just answered some of that. So you do not is it fair to say that you don't necessarily pitch directly to email marketing teams or email marketers, but the people you're pitching to can be quite varied. They could be senior stakeholders, maybe uh, mid-level manager marketers uh, and generalists at that. Yeah. Um, and it really depends on,
0: I think, the approach of the individual. So because the way that we're set up as a business we're we're set up in teams and we're set up in divisions within in the group but we have quite a lot of autonomy to work the way that that we want to work and me as an individual i very much like to be as tailored and custom as possible so i can tailor things to an, an email marketing and exec that sits in a team as opposed to a c-level person who is ultimately worried about the business goal and that's that's how i like to approach it when i'm i'm pitching people talking to clients looking at um them increasing what they're doing with with us it is very much about the why they're doing that why are they actually coming to us for support or for help or to change their platform or to use some of our services is what's the business goal that's behind that that marketing need that marketing pain because if we don't understand what the business is trying to achieve then it's really difficult for us to understand the right solution the right mix of our tech stack that we've got especially as it's ever expanding over the coming years so for us it's yes, you've come to us and you need some support or we've approached you at an event or or one of the team has reached out and said, I think we could really help you kick on with your email marketing. Ultimately, we tie it back to what is it doing for the business? Is it increasing customer retention, increasing customer lifetime value? Is it just customer experience? What is the purpose of us partnering with these brands? Because if I personally, if I don't understand that, I find it very difficult to really get myself in the mindset of this is the right solution for you. These are the tools you need. These are potentially the other partners that I need to bring into the fold as well, because we don't offer every service that marketing Mm -hmm. offers, which is why it's so important to lean on your network, to pull in people that are specialists in different areas, whether they're freelancers, agencies, other tech houses. It's really important to make sure you understand the full scope of a requirement to really make sure that you
1: can help that end client solve what they're trying to solve. I want to come back to that point about the full scope of the requirement because that's something I want to break down a little bit as well. But before Mm -hmm. we get into that, as you're going through this process, and in particular, I was thinking because you're speaking to people that are more generalist in nature, Mm -hmm. I want to know about the email marketing myths that you look to maybe debunk at this stage uh, and things that come up or have come up regularly over the last six years. When I say email marketing myths that you look to debunk, what comes to mind? Really good question. That uh, I think in terms
0: of myths, there aren't too many that come up apart from the the old adage that isn't email dead? I thought email marketing was dead, which yeah, I, I hear a lot. And um to be fair, I haven't heard as much over the last couple of years. And I think that is partly to do with the the future of a cookie-less world with third-party cookies going etc so people have really valued their their first party data and i think that's one of the things i always really push on going through that process is you want to own as much data on your customers as possible as long as it's relevant obviously don't be getting data on people that you don't need but Getting their preferences, looking at their behaviors, looking at demographics and things like that. That's first party data you want to gather as a brand. And that's why email I've found so fascinating Um, and why we constantly have those kind of debates in the email marketing world that email marketing isn't dead. It's changed, it's adapted a bit like any other piece of tech or, or channel. But that's probably the biggest kind of myth that I look to debunk if people are like, oh, I don't know if email's for us. I'm not sure how I can utilize it. But Something that's not really a myth per se is whenever I talk about email, I could sit and talk about how to increase your open rates, your click-through rates, how to optimize subject lines, all different things like that, which are kind of tips and tricks to improve your metrics on email. But ultimately, it comes down to the content that you're sending. So whether that is across email or whether that is across any other channel, if your content is interesting, if your content is relevant, and if your content has that level of intrigue, then it doesn't really matter what channel you're putting it on. And it doesn't matter how much you focus on those metrics of, oh, I want someone to open this. I want someone to click there. If the content is great, people will do that action. So I always say to people is, is, is focus on the stuff you're actually providing. Focus on the substance rather than getting too head up on the metrics. The metrics will follow after that, um, in my opinion. So that's not a myth per se, but I think it's a, a bit of a, an area that people maybe get a bit wrong when they're approaching not just email, but, but all elements of marketing. We get caught up in the, the clicks, the opens, the likes, the impressions, and, and the metrics and forget about, are we putting out good content that my ideal customer is going to enjoy, essentially? overlooking strategy perhaps is a way to summarize that is that fair yes i think i think that's a very good way of putting it is is overlooking your overarching approach to it um and ultimately you're competing with some of the biggest companies in the world if if you're a retailer you're competing with amazon and you don't have the budgets or the technology that amazon has and you probably never will but you're still competing with them you're still competing with Me looking at your website and going and buying something on Amazon. So how can you compete with that? It's the content you're serving. It's the service you're delivering because ultimately Amazon is fantastic at go there, find something, click it, buy it. It's there the next day or even that evening if you do it early enough in the day. You can't compete with that as a small retailer or a small business. What you can compete on is knowing your customers better, getting an understanding of who your ideal customers are, and serving them in the way that they want to be served.
1: So we still experience clients or prospects now that challenge us on the amount of time that we invest in research or planning and those things that are fundamental to strategy. And it sounds like perhaps you experience a similar thing too in email marketing that maybe sometimes you find yourself having to justify or at least discuss the value of those parts. Is that accurate? Yes, I think Mm. it's, I think it's very accurate.
0: And I think one thing that we always try to keep front of our mind is that you need strategy, you need mm. tactics. You can't have one without the other. And I mm. think there's, um, is it Sun Tzu talking about strategy without tactics is yeah. the slowest route to victory and tactics without strategy is a, a slow death or something of that ilk, which is basically summing up that you need both parts of that equation. Like you could plan, you could strategize, you could have all the amazing stuff there. If you can't, execute essentially then you're going to struggle and vice versa if you're great at executing the wrong things then you're also just going to be treading water so it is a fine balance between strategies and tactics to try and try and get the balance right to keep kicking on regardless of whether you're in a an upturn or a downturn whatever the is happening in the world focusing on those areas is is going to be really key
1: how about the topic of speed of results? Does that come up often? So do you get clients or prospects that say, okay, I'm interested in this, but how long is it going to take for us to see results? Do you get that? Yes. I think it comes up in probably 50% of
0: conversations. Mm. And I think it's probably come up more frequently over the last six to 12 months, because I think everybody is looking tighter at their budgets, their costs, and yeah. ROI. So I think that's a natural hangover of the, the current situation that we're in as mm. as a country and, and potentially the world as well. But one thing that I always say to people is, again, like return on investment or re- return, uh, ROAS, return on ad spend. It's, again, just a metric. So it's good to track and it's good to understand it, but it shouldn't be the key thing that you aim for. If you're aiming for that, you'll lose sight, again, of what you're trying to deliver as a business. What is... Your why. Um, I don't know if you've read Simon Sinek. Start with why. But what is yeah. the what, why? Are you in business? What What are you trying to achieve? If you lose sight of that and you're focused on well, I just need to get ROAS up. I need to get ROI up. I need to increase this. And I've done a economics degree at the University of Sussex, so I did quite a few statistical models. And generally, the more money you spend on things, the lower the ROI and ROAS may be mm. because. As you scale up in terms of volume, the multiplier just can't be the the same level. Uh, yeah. An example I always say to people when they're really fixated on ROI, how many pounds I get back on the pound is if I met you in the street and said, well, you give me a pound, I'll give you a hundred pound back, hundred times ROI, fantastic. Well, how about you give me a hundred pound, I give you a thousand pound back. That's only 10 times ROI, but you're 801 pound better off. It's a very simplified approach to it because when you're selling products and services, you've got costs, you've got salaries, etc. Mm. So it's not as black and white as that, but it gets people thinking about, oh, why am I just blindly following this ROI mm. metric that gets banded around, which in the email space is great. It's usually 38 to one or 40 to one on the pound. But again, it shouldn't be the be all and end all. That should just be a consideration when you're thinking about, Am I spending the money in the right place? Am I deploying the right tactics? Is it linking into the strategy across marketing, the strategy across the business, and the the why of the business as well? Why why is that business operating in the first place?
1: There's parallels there. It's actually come up in our company quite recently. Clients or prospects that are particularly, uh, whether they're fixated, concerned maybe are the words, with mm-hmm. ROAS in paid advertising. And so we've been talking in a very similar way about How uh, when you scale paid advertising, the ROAS will naturally lower for some of the reasons you just noted there. There are definitely some parallels there. I want to take it back to just something you mentioned a moment ago when you were talking about scope of work, because this is really interesting to me. This is the starting point for working with uh, prospects or clients to make sure that you set off on the right foot. And I'm curious to know what questions do you ask? What information is essential for you at Spotler? to start off on the right foot, to get the information that you need from those clients or from those prospects? Very good question again. I think for me personally, I like to
0: look at things holistically. Start off at the business objective. So say, for example, someone comes onto our website, puts in a request to find out more information about our services. The first thing I will ask that person is, why are we sat on this call today? Why, why have you taken the time to reach out to us? Because that starts that getting them thinking about, oh, why did I actually do that? I know that it's probably to look at a new email platform or marketing automation tool, but but why? What are you trying to solve behind that? And again, maybe it's because I'm a super curious person, but I'm always asking why in my job, outside of work, in any situation, I want to understand the why of it and, and, and why people think like that. Why are people saying these things and asking those questions? So Understanding what the business need they're trying to solve is really, really important because if they come with something like, oh, one of my friends says that they use you guys and I should probably check you out, that doesn't really give any of us a basis to to move forward in a partnership. If, for example, they, they know what they want and they've come and said, well, we're really struggling with the churn of our customers and we need a cost effective way to increase our customer lifetime value and potentially provide the best possible service. That's something that we can work with. We can start to understand, okay, they've had a real think about this. Let me dig into that a little bit deeper and go, right, okay, so churn is a problem in the business, right? Why is churn a problem? And then they'll start thinking, I don't know why churn's a problem. We're losing customers. It, It makes sense, but what should churn be? It's unrealistic for any business to keep every single customer indefinitely. You'll accidentally sell or serve the right people. Some people... As they grow older or change demographics, they move in and out of your ideal customer profile. So we work back from that and go, right, that's the business goals. What marketing goals can we align to that? Also, how we can include that to email specific, but also other areas because if it's not aligned to a business goal and it's not aligned to something the business is trying to achieve, then the project that we're undertaking will either fall down because there's lack of interest in the business Or there's lack of effectiveness. What we've implemented and spent time and money on hasn't worked because it isn't linked back to one of those key targets and key goals that the business is trying to achieve. So I think the information that I find essential is how is what you're looking to do with Spotler and our services in email marketing impacting the wider business objectives, whether that's revenue, customer churn, lifetime value, or or whatever potential
1: issue they're coming to us with. So we have, um, I guess, a similar challenge and a similar approach when we're meeting prospects for the first time. And one of the things that we try to do, even if, say, a prospect comes to us and they're just maybe they're looking, they're inquiring about our analytics services, sometimes we'll seek information outside of just what they're doing in analytics to inform that work. So I'm curious to know, even though some prospects might come to you for email marketing services, do you ask questions that are related to other marketing disciplines to help inform, I guess your initial ideas for email marketing strategy for those clients? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think
0: in the, the way of questioning to what the business is trying to achieve, naturally email marketing can't solve all of those problems. Yeah. So we get quite a lot of, um, from the pure 360 side, again, I'm, um, Bouncing between spotler and pure 360, <laughs> but from the pure 360 side because we've been running since two thousand one and a very good name in the industry, it's often that we get a lot of people that worked for different businesses over the years come back to us when they've set up a business or when they're working at a smaller company and they they want to work with us because of the experience they've had and they're like, I want to work with you guys we're trying to focus on customer acquisition for example. Now, email in the B2C space specifically for customer acquisition is not the right channel because Mm -hmm. you can't buy B2C data anymore, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can't use it as an acquisition strategy by itself. So in that situation, I kind of say to them, well, what what are you trying to achieve? Well, we need to get more people to the website because we've just launched a Shopify store and we're not quite sure how we go about it. So I'll ask the questions to still try to understand a bit about what they're trying to achieve, and then leverage the partner network that we've got. For example, you guys, obviously, based in Brighton, much like myself and, and Pure, if they need services that you guys offer, I can put them in touch with you and say, look, these guys will be able to support you, knowing full well that I know you guys can deliver on it. And I know that when the time is right, and they do want to utilize email, maybe once they've grown a bit of traffic, they've got um, people coming to their site and they want to help building a subscriber list and start utilizing email as a re-engagement, a conversion, and a reactivation tactic, they're much more likely to come back and speak to us because we've had that consultative approach to it rather than just, oh, no, email's not for you, see you later, put the phone down, and off they go into the ether. It's very much... If we can support, again, I guess it leads back to the the why question. If I can support someone in marketing or someone who needs marketing help, deliver better marketing, they're gonna do better in their role, they're gonna be more successful. And and they kind of remember that it's it's that kind of karma that potentially comes back around. And I'm not necessarily a super spiritual person or getting into that today, but I do believe that you can pay things forward. You can offer people the the different options and solutions through partners freelance networks other agencies other tech platforms and if they're not a good fit for us even potentially sometimes our competitors so Mm -hmm. pushing someone to a competitor saying we're not the best fit for you for what you want to achieve you should go and speak to so and so at so and so competitor
1: if that client has other marketing departments for example they have a social media person or they have a seo person would you actively try to bring them into those conversations is there anything that you can learn from those people and those disciplines to apply to email marketing at that initial stage of strategy creation
0: i think so because you've got to think of the customer life cycle in the eyes of the customer not the marketer so in that situation you've given you've got say an email marketing team and a social team now as a customer myself of coca-cola I don't see Coca-Cola on my emails and go, oh, the Coca-Cola email team are sending me this and then see it on TV and go, oh, the Coca-Cola kind of TV team. is I just see it as Coca-Cola. So I expect the experience to be very similar across the board. And I think when you have channels that are in silos, which is very common across all sizes of businesses, you're really leaving a lot on the table in terms of, The type of performance you can get, the type of experience you can deliver your customers, and again, when I talk about potentially bringing other people from different departments that might not be relevant to the services we offer, I talk about the effect of compounding. So, for example, let's just take five channels. If you were working in silos on five channels, and you were to increase results by ten percent in each of those channels, then it's great. You're 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 ten percent better across marketing. That's fantastic, but if they were all working together and helping to optimize one another's by going, actually, I know that if I optimize my PPC campaigns to go through to somewhere where I can serve something relevant on the site, that increases my chance of them signing up to email, which means the people on my email list are going to be more relevant, just as an example, then just taking those 10% increases, so say it's 1.1 times 1.1 times 1.1, so compounding them together you've got a 60% increase and i think sometimes people forget the power of collaboration within their business not just externally with with us and potentially services and agencies like yourself or other partners we work with is internally you need to think about how does the customer experience the brand how do you get that experience all together because then you're working smarter rather than harder because Something you do in email can be replicated and reused on your socials. And the insights that you get from your email marketing campaigns as to which content was clicked on the most or which one drove the most engagement, you can carry that through to your split tests on your display network. All of those learnings are a business learning, not a, oh, I've learned something about my PPC or I've learned something about what I've tested on TikTok, for example. Ultimately, you've learned which piece of content what's better at that point in time to a certain subset of your audience and you can share that across those different sub departments or in some cases it is just one person which is why smaller businesses sometimes deliver better marketing campaigns because they are taking a more holistic approach because they haven't got the bureaucracy and red tape that comes with a big organization that have lots of different teams and they're quite slow moving. And I imagine that's something that's that's difficult to to fight against in a large organization of a marketing team of 50 and they're broken down into 10 people on each team. That's a lot of cooks in one kitchen as opposed to a marketing team of one or two.
1: I love that answer. There's that a really great answer. I think that's a really great lesson for anyone listening. It's the taking the business learning and applying that across marketing channels as opposed to, yeah, I guess, getting into a position where you're too siloed and looking at the channels too independently. I think, I mean, that's just a a principle, a principle of mine in marketing and one that I, I guess I encourage our teams to share that information and encourage our clients to view things that way. You know, I was thinking about this and I figured this topic might come up in this episode today. I was thinking, well, how do we do that, practically speaking? How do we share those business learnings across disciplines? And in our agency, we have a few touch points with clients, which I think most agencies and most clients will probably have. We have things like weekly meetings, monthly meetings, review meetings with clients, which are typically at least quarterly. And usually those are a part of the agenda. Um, Of course, we have things that help with proactive communication Um, such as Microsoft Teams and those kind of channels, those online channels. But is there anything that you can point to that you do specifically uh, or maybe differently to any other companies that you're aware of to share those business learnings and to encourage the sharing of those business learnings? That's a
0: very good question. Um, I can only speak from myself personally because I don't think we've got something that's set across the business and this is what we do to make sure that we're sharing these kind of learnings
1: your curiosity seems important to me like i'm sensing because you're you've mentioned already you're a curious person you think about the why and it sounds like really you're a habitual sharer yeah
0: i think yeah. i think you've hit the nail on the head there i think for me it is almost a way for me to discover what's working and what's not working it's it's a way for me to learn about Okay, well, we're doing this for our clients, but if I understand this a bit more, and let's just take our two businesses as an example. If you're working with a client and you're doing the the SEO, the PPC, and that side, and we're doing the email, I would naturally be like, "Hey, Scott, look, we've got these kind of tests that worked really well. Like, what are you guys doing across the social campaigns that you're running? Like, maybe you should look at changing this and adjusting that because I know that." if you guys are doing a better job at driving traffic to the website, our job's going to be a lot easier about converting the traffic because the traffic quality is better. And you end up in that virtuous cycle of starting to collaborate much quicker. And and that's when things really start to take off. I think how quick you can be to activate certain things is probably the difference between hyper-growth brands and brands that kind of plateau more often than not, is information sharing. And it should be so, so simple nowadays with collaborative workspaces, Microsoft Teams. There are so many ways that you can share information. And there's plenty of tools out there now that, I mean, I used to send out, here's a a pricing deck, here's a proposal, here's a PDF, here's a PowerPoint, and it just gets lost in email. There are platforms out there now where you just log into a URL, and that is the whole process, start to finish. You might be in a 18-month pitch process, everything is just stored in that one location. So you don't have version 2, version 2.1 of a proposal, version 3.9. You're just like, this is the most up-to-date proposal. This is where we're at. Come to this workspace, share information and share it fast. And you will see that you'll be able to operate a, a much slicker operation, both in marketing, but also across the business as a whole. I mean, I'm not a business guru, but I think if you take that to the wider business operations, then you'll find that information is shared. People are collaborating a hell of a lot more. And I mean, I listen to a lot of different podcasts and things like that, but the one thing that stood out to me from, I think it was maybe Diary of a CEO, was Steve talking about a company. Like the definition of company is a a group of people. So if you think of a company as a group of people, ultimately those group of people are responsible for what the company does and if you don't collaborate then you're not a company you're just siloed individuals sat within a business structure so so yeah for me collaboration is super super important it doesn't matter how you do it in the business just get information shared across businesses partners departments as quickly as possible but only if it's necessary and only if it's actually going to move the needle on performance it's going to support don't have meetings for meetings sake don't share everything to everyone if they don't need to know it and it's not something
1: they need to be involved in i think that's some great advice um do you know what There would have been a perfect way to close that episode on that note but i have one more question that i'm curious (laughs) about i want to ask you before we do close out and this is more just uh, your personal interest in email marketing you mentioned you know six years ago maybe when you started out in this space email marketing as a discipline alone wasn't necessarily the kind of a high priority interest for you but it's developed that way you're Mm -hmm. obviously spending a lot of time in this space i assume that as the six years have gone on you pay more attention to your email than you maybe would have done previously firstly is that is that a fair assumption that you spend more time paying attention to email than before or not a hundred (laughs) percent and not just email i think there's my partner
0: she'll probably tell you that one of my number one bugbears are non-responsive mobile websites and that's just because the space i'm in like i don't think anyone else has such an issue with it but me i'm like oh my god this is (laughs) the worst thing ever but ultimately it's a small brand that probably hasn't built a website for mobile but i'm just getting completely irate about it and i think that comes from sometimes you get your head stuck in the marketing world too much and you need to go hang on a minute like step back from it it's not actually
1: that bad it's absolutely Mm. fine so yeah it's a fair assumption for sure and then on that note, in closing, talk me through some of the the brands that you think do email marketing really well. Who do you engage with most? Whose emails can't you wait to kind of see and open? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, my interests lie
0: a lot in sport and a lot in in travel and culture and things like that. So uh, I mentioned I was at an Abta event last week and there was a talk from Ronan Gay who heads up the marketing team at Black Tomato and what they went through, the way that they go through things is, is great because they are content focused. And again, I'm kind of sounding a bit like a broken record here, but they focus on the content and not so much on the channel it's delivered on. And Ronan's an avid fan of email. He's like email is one of his favorite channels because you're having that one-to-one conversation. So the stuff that they put out, it's engaging, it's inspiring, the ideas that are behind it and it it creates that experience in your mind where you're visually kind of going, wow, this is this is somewhere I want to go, somewhere I want to be. And um, so that's one that I like for the the visual, the creative side of things. From a I guess an email strategy tactics side of things um you can't see me i'm not on camera but i've got about 25 maybe 30 plants in the room that i'm sat in at the moment at home um i got a lot of them from a company called patch plants now what they do fantastically is a welcome series that i think is one email a day for 10 days which some people are like oh my god that's too much to work. but it's not too much because the content they have it's like a learning journey they've identified me as in that first buying process or sign up process that i'm a beginning when it comes to plants. I love them. I struggle to keep them alive. So they gave me a lesson every single day on how to care for this, how to do that. This is how you look after that type of plant. And it was almost like a a mini series of teachings about, oh, do you need to make sure that you change the soil so often or to feed them plant food? I mean, I didn't realize there was so much to, to looking after plants, to be honest. I got myself in a bit too deep. But that is a tactic that we would say get a welcome series, welcome someone to the brand. Because they've done that, by default, when I'm thinking of plants, I go to their website first because they're the authority in the space. So that's a really good example. But I do find myself sometimes being overly critical of emails that I get um, because I know how easy it can be with the right technology at your fingertips. Um, But, I mean, there's thousands and thousands of tech vendors out there. I can't say that every email marketing platforms the same it's just my experience which has solely been pure 360 and now the spot the group so when it's so simple it 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 does get me a bit frustrated that that people aren't doing the the easy things well essentially
1: and as you've provided those examples i'm looking ahead of me behind my audio interface my laptop here there are two very sad looking plants and so (laughs) i know exactly where i'm going to go when we finish this episode today so thanks for that recommendation Uh, Darren, it's been a pleasure talking to you. If people want to learn more about the topics we've been discussing today, want to learn more about Spotler, want to connect with you, where can they find you?
0: My LinkedIn will just be Darren Teague. You'll probably see it in Brighton. I think that's the best way to connect with me personally. Uh, Email address and other details will be on the page that this has been posted on. And I think that's the best way to connect with me kind of professionally about the services we offer and discuss anything that we've been through today. But yeah, again, I'm a curious person. So if anybody has questions about anything, wants to ask anything, reach out to me. Uh, I'm all ears. And
1: and yeah, I do talk a lot as well. So I'll stop it there. (laughs) Pleasure speaking to you today, Darren. This has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Take care.